This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, this is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler that digs deep into the realities of traveling as a woman today and celebrates why we'll never stay home. I am Meredith Carey, and this is my co-host, Lolly Arakoglu. Hello. Today, we are joined by Abigail Wise, the online managing editor of Outside Magazine, calling in from Santa Fe. And we've got Judy Wineland, owner of Adventure Women, a tour company for, you probably guessed it, Adventurous Women. And she is in New Zealand right now. So today, talking about stepping out of your comfort zone, you know, in our most recent issue, one of our contributors, Sophie Roberts, wrote this incredible story about going to the easternmost edges of Russia uh, on this adventure. And she wrote that this is why I traveled to demythologize fear of the unknown. And I think a lot of people think about adventure travel as having, you know, a little bit of fear out the gate. So what do you guys think constitutes adventure travel in the first place? Do you have to be bungee jumping or call it like jumping out of a plane to call it adventure travel? Well, that is a great question because um, I've been in this industry since 1978 um, where adventure travel was just kind of being coined here in the United States. And what is really interesting is that I think it has never really changed. And maybe some of the activities have changed and some of the destinations have changed. But, you know, we've done a lot of surveys of women and we find out that they are very passionate about the whole idea of adventure travel. But also it kind of underscores the idea that I think there's so many different meanings for women. I think, you know, I think that for men, oftentimes that traditional definitions maybe been more athletic or maybe more challenging, more physical. But I think for women who I've worked with and been with for so long, it's really more about exploring and discovering, kind of learning and reaching outside their comfort zone. And maybe that's kind of the unknown. So that's a, to me, has been and always will be a very individual thing that happens with our travelers and women in particular, because women are kind of really starting to do a lot of new exploration, both internal and external. And for you, Abigail, what, what do you consider to be adventure travel? Yeah, you know, I really agree with that. I think, um, I mean, adventure is such a subjective word, right? And adventure just means exploring the unknown. So that could be a personal unknown. um, That could be, you know, maybe you are doing some like epic, like cave exploration in some far off country, but it could also mean something closer to home. Um, And I also wanted to make the point of, I think a lot of times um, when we're talking about travel, we sort of get caught up in this idea of, you know, traveling across seas and going super far, which is, of course, super awesome and fun and great experiences um, as well. But 
I mean, I travel a ton just in the West. Um, I'll take a road trip to go climbing in northern New Mexico or go climb outside of Las Vegas. And for me, that is also adventure travel, even though it's only, you know, a few hours from where I live. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think that you're absolutely right, uh, that it is sometimes just across the road where your adventure can begin. And sometimes uh, what we're finding out is that it is oftentimes visiting this kind of new destination or someplace would you, where you've never gone, but it also be, could be something that you maybe dreamed of but never thought of actually doing this on your own or going with a small group. So it's kind of a first-time thing. Sometimes it's, for our ladies, it's sometimes learning a new activity. It's like snorkeling you know, with the sea lions or snowmobiling in, I don't know, um, Iceland's volcanic landscapes. Or it might be even something like skydiving. I just took a group of women here in New Zealand down to the South Island. And, of course, Queenstown being the home of what they call, coined themselves the home of all adventurous things. You know, we had a woman who really had dreamt about skydiving, and she did it. And she was just scared to death and actually convinced herself that this was time. And I mean, I think that's kind of all about adventure travel. What do you think um, pushed her to think that that was the moment? That what, what came together for her at that time? The opportunity. Um, we were all there with her and kind of supporting her and saying, you know, go ahead, do it. It's a dream. You know what? You, you, how many times you get to live out a dream like this? And then there was also this kind of the antithesis. There was some guy saying, you know, it might be awfully windy tomorrow. And, you know, maybe maybe this isn't the best time to do it. Maybe we should try looking at something else. And we were like, oh, no. And so she did. And it was windy. And they canceled her trip the first day. And, and then we said, just do it again tomorrow. We'll stay a little bit longer. And she did it. And we've got the most incredible video of her. She is, I think she's a changed woman for actually having done something she was so frightened to do. I'm all for getting out of my comfort zone, but I don't think I can ever jump out of a plane. <laughs> yeah. Yet. 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 Um, do you guys kind of want to talk through how you guys got into this adventure travel near and far? You know, Abigail, you talked about climbing. Is there something that really got you involved in, in getting outside and getting out of your comfort zone and kind of really pushing yourself? Yeah, actually, um, for me, it was climbing that did that. I, uh, I mean, I grew up canoeing and camping out here and there, but it wasn't until after college when I moved to uh, Boston with my best friend, and he's a big climber. So he taught me how to climb, and then we sort of um, got into kayaking together, and we started to go on these like multi-day like river trips. And it was super fun, and I just got hooked. Um, and I just I feel so lucky that. You know, a lot of people do that and they're sort of weekend warriors, which is super awesome. And I'm so glad so many people do that. But I feel extra lucky because I've been able to work that into my career. And so I just I feel so privileged to be able to to work in an area that I'm super passionate about, which is adventure travel. And Judy, you've been in the industry for decades now. So can you talk about how you got into it? Is it something you chose on purpose or did it just kind of fall into place? No, you know, and uh, when I actually got started in this, the adventure travel industry <clears throat> was in its infancy. And it was 1967. I was 17 years old and I was in a university in Colorado. And there was a group of us that were singers and I played the guitar and the banjo. And we decided to be kind of stupid and reach out to the USO and say, we really would love to um, kind of sing for the USO somewhere. So... Anyhow, long story short, they chose us to be our own show, and they sent us to 
Japan, the Philippines, Guam, and South Korea at that time. So we went off and we played in burn wards and did all types of things. And, and this is the first time I was a very suburban young gal, you know, majoring in uh, becoming a teacher. And there I was in the Japan tuna market. And there I was in Korea. I was and in Guam in the Philippines, places I didn't even realize existed in my life. And remember, this is 1967. I'd never traveled outside of probably Colorado. And then um, the next tour we did was to Vietnam, and we did two more stints to Vietnam and playing, actually, in our own little helicopters, um, five of us in our own little helicopters traveling across all of the fields in Vietnam and going and singing at Quang Tri and all these various places for the troops. And I just, it took my breath away continually, not just the beauty of the landscape, but the difference in the people and how incredibly different the world was from my own little lens that I had. And so I came back, became a teacher, and I got a little pamphlet in my mailbox, and it said, oh, if you get eight of your students to travel with you, you can go free and um, travel to Europe. So I thought, oh, my gosh, I could see more of the world. So off I went with my students, and I met up with these people who were doing adventure travel, long-term, three-month trips across Kathmandu to Kathmandu, down to Nairobi, and I thought, oh, I'd love to tell people in America about this. Honestly, God, it was as stupid as this. I thought, <laughs> I, can, I can do this. I want to tell people they need to do travel like I did. So I started a company called Overseas Adventure Travel in 1978 and basically began presenting adventure travel. And I was the only woman in the industry. Um, there was the rest of the guys out on the West Coast, like Sobek, mountain travel, wilderness travel. And... I was on the East Coast and the only women in this industry, and that was the beginning of taking off and offering incredible travel around the world for other people. And then, of course, I got to do some of that myself. I did a lot of that. <laughs> Judy, how much resistance did you find being one of the only women in this adventure travel industry, you know, among many men doing it? Well, people ask me that a lot. Actually, the men in this industry were in that my my cohorts, my fellow um, adventurer travel people were extraordinarily supportive. They were actually really wonderful. Where the hiccup was, was when I traveled to other countries that were very, um, very male dominated, I re they really didn't believe me. They didn't believe I had a company. I, they didn't give me, you know, any support whatsoever. That was the hardest thing was probably going to developing nations and trying to say, this is really what I want to do with my guests. This is the thing I want to bring forward. Um, but slowly, slowly that all changed. And today I still find that very difficult. Um, you know, if I'm traveling with another guy, they will, I'll ask a question and they'll always answer toward that person who I'm with as long as it's not a female. And then on the flip side, though, uh, as a woman and traveling with a group of women, you probably have access to seeing certain parts of the country, uh, sort of female communities more than a male adventure traveler would, right? Yes, in fact, uh, I was just took a group of, and I say take, I'm an ambassador. We have guides in every one of the troops and uh, troops in every one of our uh, countries and every one of our trips. And um, I just had a group of women in Tanzania. We have a ground operation there. So I had these women and we were going to share a conversation with the Maasai women. And I, and this, in this situation, all men had to leave. And it was just the most incredible eye-opening conversation. I mean, still to this day, you know, now I'm in my mid-60s and, you know, still wonderful, fabulous things are happening and my eyes are always open to new things. But here are these women talking about um, 
their own uh, female circumcision, what that means to them, what it means to have many husbands, uh, how they balance all of that. Nowhere on earth could I have had another man in that conversation. Women would just have not opened up, and they were very trusting. And those are the type of things that traveling with women really bring to the table. And that is, we all really, we're really alike, even though we look all so different. We have this very much the same long-term goals in our life, which is family and friends and love. It's just phenomenal. But anyhow, that was a long story about why men, why, what access we can have without men. Um, <laughs> Abigail, I think it's been really interesting and exciting to watch like the very pointed effort that Outside has been making the last couple of years to um, kind of spotlight more women who are doing incredible things in the industry, whether they're rock climbing or skiing or, you know, working on conservation. Can you just kind of talk us through the decision to focus um, you know, more content and more features and more writers uh, that are women on y'all's side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you. I'm so glad that uh, to hear that our efforts are being noticed because there are a lot of efforts happening back here. Um, we have tried, I mean, we have meetings now dedicated to uh, women-specific pitches. So that means, you know, trying to come up with uh, female athletes who would be good on our covers, um, who would be good in features. We also push for more uh, women writers. So we want to have a 50-50 divide between men and women writers, uh, both online and in our magazine. So we have been implementing small changes to make that happen. And for example, one of them um, on our gear coverage for online, we have a new rule that whenever we publish an article about any kind of like gender specific product, we absolutely must make sure we cover the other gender as well. Um, we also just launched our women's gear newsletter, which we're super proud of. Um, and it's called Dawn Patrol. And it's sort of a behind the scene look into everything women's gear. Um, but yeah, so we have been pushing really hard. I mean, adventure travel and the outdoors in general, just historically speaking, is so male dominated, as we all know, that it sort of feels like finally we are, um, we're seeing, we're seeing equality in a way that historically we haven't. And so I feel really excited to be able to be a part of that movement. Um, I think that, you know, that representation and getting to see other women, you know, doing tours with adventure women or on the cover of Outside or just really doing some amazing badass things is so important. And I think it encourages other women to get out there for their own, on their own. And so when you think about that woman who was really nervous about skydiving or someone who wants to try out rock climbing or who wants to go on some solo adventure or just a hike in their backyard, you know, what is your advice for someone who wants to get a little more adventurous, um, but doesn't know where to start or is really nervous to, to get started? Well, this is Judy here. I, I think that um, what, what our guests again are, are telling us and through all our, these different surveys that we're doing is that um, they feel and they, they want to have fun. They're curious, they're adventurous women, and they feel very safe and secure doing this with other women who are also active like themselves. And so, you know, we, uh, we have various different type of programs that we offer that are some very active and ultimately active and some less active and where women want, maybe some women want more culture and some other women want to do something, you know, more mountaineering type of trips that we do. 
So I think that one way to do this, obviously, is to come on a trip like with Adventure Women or find a trip that works for um, for you. So that you, and it should be small, so that you're um, don't bump up against 50 other people trying to figure out what they want to do on an adventure trip. You know, I think that a small group for women is actually imperative. Um, and even you know, even finding a group of friends that are like-minded and doing a private trip, I would recommend that they try that. But first of all, just get out. I mean, that's really what women need to do, even if it is uh, in the United States. Go do something you would just not have. You've thought about, but you just thought you couldn't do on your own, or just find a group of friends to go with. To add on to what Judy was saying, I mean, companies that help lead women on these adventures, like like your own, Judy, um, I think are super helpful because for someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of experience, it's nice not to have to plan every detail yourself. I mean, that can be super overwhelming if you've never if you've never done something like that before. So relying on community, whether that means like an adventure travel um, company, or maybe it's something like you sign up for a trail race somewhere and the trail running community becomes your own and, and they can help you sort of figure out where to go, how to get there, where to stay, where to eat um, and everything in between. And so I think relying on other people who have maybe had a little more experience is super valuable. It's very valuable for the women of today. We And, you know, we look at this uh, from our really younger group, our 30s and 40s, who are probably m more interested in some challenge. They're more athletic. They're rugged. They're more expeditionary. And, you know, they may need, uh, they may be seeking some other different type of help. Our midlife people who like to just do active and fun, do hiking and kayaking and snorkeling. Those are the ones who love a little bit of comfort with good cuisine, you know, and some culture. I think it's pretty easy for women to kind of look at these type of trips that are available, be it adventure women or whoever, and kind of find where their dream might be. It might be Morocco. For some people, it might be Bhutan. For some people, it might be New Mexico. Well, then I think there's a real value in seeing people like you do something, and it kind of empowers you to do the same. I feel like we've talked about this a lot in the podcast, which is, you know, when you see, when you're not, when you're seeing someone who looks like you or identifies like you taking a trip crossing a border climbing a mountain jumping out of a plane yeah. you're mm -hmm. like oh yeah maybe I could do that um and I, I feel like I'm just you know I, this is a complete aside and a kind of a rant but I got an email today about some you know new I will remain nameless but a new web travel series hosted by three guys going out eating all this food going having a crazy time and I was just like I have seen this so many times I'm so <laughs> bored this is so annoying <laughs> and they're also doing all the things that I like to do when I travel but I don't get to see someone like me doing it um, and so this kind of segues on to um, what I'd like to ask next which is that you know adventure travel and this idea of explorers and, and travel writing has been so dominated by men for, for, for centuries um, and I was wondering who some of your favorite female explorers or adventurers is, especially women who are doing great things for adventure travel right now. Well, you mentioned uh, travel writers, and I think um, Blair Braverman is fantastic. Oh my God, I love she, her. <laughs> isn't she the best? If you, um, if you do not follow her on Twitter, like you are, who are you? <laughs> I know, you're missing out on so many good dog photos. Um, so for the listeners who don't know, 
uh, Blair and her partner um, are dog sled racers, and they have, I believe now, two teams of uh, dogs. And so they travel all over the country, but she's traveled all over the world training and learning how to be a musher. Um, and she has the best book. It's called Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube. And it is absolutely fantastic. Everyone needs to read it. It's like in my top five of all time. Um, but so she's definitely one of my favorites. And she's so uh, public about her adventures. Um, like you mentioned on Twitter, her Twitter feed is great. That I think that that brings visibility to women who travel and women who adventure and sort of um, reminds all of us that we can do that too. And I think some of the really awesome stuff that Blair does, she actually ended up writing something for us for our Women Who Travel package um, that came out earlier in March. Um, but I think the some of the really cool stuff is that she does a lot of the dog sledding um, on her own. So she'll be, you know, out in the wilderness in a race with 12, 8, 12 dogs. Um, and like that connection that she finds with herself and nature, I think is like so special. Um and I think that her way of explaining it makes you feel like you could find it too, uh, which I think totally. is is really great. Judy, who are your who are your travel female explorer crushes? <laughs> well, I have to say that um, you know I've been following and and we we haven't we've just done two blog posts on our Chow Bello thing for our Women's History Month, and one of the women that we featured was Sarah Marquis. And she's the one who, between like 2010, I think 2013, crossed about six countries. She's been hiking and trekking in the mountains, des across deserts. She's done everything you can possibly imagine. She walked from Siberia to Australia. She travels alone. And her adventures are like great expeditions. But I have to tell you that I, I, love, I love the historical women. I love nonconformists and the history of this. And if you can hearken back to the... Uh, 1860s, 1870s, and 80s, there is a woman, Alexandra David Neal, who to me was one of the most extraordinary nonconformists who went off to Tibet, um, had to actually, she went to Tibet twice, and she actually had to go the second time, um, rugged up as a beggar. And, you know, she just, she's, I remember her saying in one of her memoirs, that all she did was carry a compass, a pistol, and some money with her, <laughs> and off she went. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I mean, you know, I'm worried, I'm thinking about my gear and of how many layers I can wear and how this is all going to work when I'm going to go hike uh, in Japan. <laughs> and I'm thinking about Alexandra, and we're talking again, by the time she went to Tibet, I think it was 1914 or 1916, and you know, when Westerners were not allowed to be in Tibet. And I don't know, something about reading her memoirs and reading her, what she had to say is just pretty extraordinary to me to think of of what she did. And she actually got married. This one, the one thing I want to mention. She got married, decided she didn't want to have children because it would have put a crimp in her style. And then she didn't see her husband for like 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I have women, we have women saying, oh, you know, maybe I think I'm going to leave my husband for these two weeks. And <laughs> I'm thinking about Alexandra. 14 That's years later, Season. That's yeah. amazing. Oh my gosh. Okay. So book for my reading list. Yeah. I was actually um, reading about um, Simone de Beauvoir. It turns out used to um, loved hiking and, lo and hiked the Alps a lot. And there was mm -hmm. this great line in this piece I was reading about her that um, said that she, she dismissed all the gear that all the other hikers were wearing and she would, she would just wear a pair of espadrilles in an old dress. <laughs> <laughs> 
like, what is what is jam? I know, and then she'd walk like twenty five miles. <laughs> wow. So talking about women from the past who've inspired us, you know, I think that that there have been women pioneers, you know, for a while, but I think that they've been few and far between, which we've also been talking about. But I think this rise, you know, outside focusing on on women adventurers and athletes and and people in the outdoors, there's been this rise in women's only adventure travel and a focus on women in adventure travel. Do you guys have any sense of, you know, Judy having been in the industry for years, do you have any sense of like why it's growing so much now or or what its future might hold? over the next couple of years? Okay, so for, for me, I would say that I don't, I think women have very much been at the helm of adventure travel when it comes to making decisions. Um, all throughout my history, you know, as I would be on the phone, it would usually be with a woman who was trying to make the decisions either for her and her partner, maybe her and her family, but they were very involved in all of that. I think the, um, the glass ceilings are changing for what women think they can and can't do. What they do want to do, though, I believe, and what we're seeing is they love the idea of having relationships when they're traveling, relationships with the culture like we did with the Maasai women, relationships with each other, because that is the, that power of connection between women is what we're seeing. That's why women are traveling together. Um, it's safe. It's exciting. It's part of the dream. They feel I can do it. But in the midst of all of that, which we say the destination is just the beginning, the whole thing that blossoms from this is the, the incredible relationships they have with, with each other forever. Well, and to feed um, off of that a little bit, I so a good friend of mine, Shelma June, um, is the founder of Flash Foxy, which is an all-women's climbing movement. Um, and she started the Women's Climbing Festival a few years ago. Actually, this weekend is the third one uh, in Bishop, California, but it's all women. There are over 300 um, participants and they all show up in Bishop from all over the country and they climb. They take clinics and workshops. They listen to panels. There's bouldering and sport climbing and trad climbing. And it sells out in literally minutes every single year. And I think that shows um, what high demand there is for this super, I mean, it's just, it's all women. It's such a supportive environment. I, unfortunately, I'm missing it this year, but I went last year and it was just amazing to, to see just, you know, rock climbing is such a male dominated sport, historically speaking. And so it's just, there's something so powerful about walking out in Bishop through all these beautiful boulders with the snow-capped mountains in the back and just seeing groups of women climbing together and cheering each other on and catching each other and it's it's just a really magical thing but yeah so I think about things like that and I think that I mean there's just such a demand to sell out in a few minutes is crazy and also That's probably great. probably proof that it's a market that still isn't being tapped enough absolutely um, okay, so both of you kind of answered this question already, but what is the value of signing up to a women's only adventure trip? Like, what are you going to get from that? Um, and like, what can experiencing those sorts of adventures together as a, you know, as a group of women, like, what can that teach us as travelers? Well, I think it's a great question. What can it teach us as travelers or what can it even teach us about ourselves? Uh, w which is what travel enhances is kind of learning more about ourselves you know, again, I think that it is the, um, again, it's the connection that we make together. Um, 
the women that we meet, the lifelong friendships, I think, that develop on the trips. And also, you know, when I was traveling, when I was a bit younger and I was doing more of this, when I was setting up trips around the world, one of the things that became so clear to me was being open and being honest and not critical of another culture, of opening yourself up, made it so wonderful that friendships and relationships would begin. I have relationships with Maasai women still to this day just from being open and traveling and, you know, realizing that together we were women. And I, I think that that power of that relationship is what happens with women when they travel and particularly when they travel together. Because that amount of support that happens between women with each other is just pretty incredible, pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, um, I mean, travel only works to increase those bonds and those relationships. I mean, when I think about my friends from college, the ones who I've remained closest to are the ones who I studied abroad with. And that's because we were experiencing these new countries together. Um, and I also think from a bigger picture uh, standpoint, I mean, these all women adventure trips and experiences are so much about celebrating our growth within this industry and our and equality in general, I think. Um, because, I mean, it's fun to travel with men too. I, I travel with my dude friends all the time, but there's just something so special. And Judy, I think you mentioned like the support and the connections um, between women are so strong when we travel together. And I, I do think that is something that is often unique, at least with my uh, women friends. Um, but yeah, it just, it feels like such a great time to, to be traveling with other women and learning from other women and celebrating our equality. Just putting an exclamation point on that, uh, definitely. I'm going to end uh, this with a big question about a big thing, which is what would you say has been each of your greatest adventure thus far? I think for me, for me, Judy, I would say it was a long time ago when I decided to go into Ladakh uh, and I was on my own at, at a very early time when it was not typical to travel. And that, you know, sometimes solo travel... It was very. It was the most adventurous thing I did. I wouldn't say it was the most fun thing I've ever done, but it was very adventurous, and I learned that that whole thing of I can do it. It is though what made me realize it would have been a heck of a lot better for me if I had some other women with me on that trip, and what a great thing that would have been. But Ladakh would have been it for me. How about you, Abigail? Um. Oh, it's hard to choose. Um. Okay. So. I, one that stands out in my mind, um, when I was in college, I got the opportunity to go to Tunisia for a while. Um, and we got to, we spent a couple nights um, camping in the Sahara Desert. And it was one of the most magical experiences, you know, especially as someone who loves the outdoors. Um, and I was just then sort of starting to become more interested in outdoor recreation. But uh, to be able to go and see the sunset and the moon rise at the same time, I mean, it was just, it was absolutely epic. But I also want to add in a little misadventure because I think that it's really easy for us to focus on the beautiful parts of travel. And sometimes our mistakes can also be the ones that we learn from the most. Um, so another favorite uh, story of mine is um, my 
best friend and I were just getting into kayaking out on the East Coast, and we had picked a small little river in New Hampshire that we were going to paddle down, camp out on the banks along the way um, for, I think it was like a long weekend, a few days. And what we realized after we traveled just miles and miles down this river is that we had no idea how we were going to get back upstream. <laughs> and so we ended up ditching our kayaks. We pulled them out of the water, ditched them by the shore, and hitchhiked and walked many, many, many miles uh, back to where we had parked our van and then had to go drive and, and pick up our kayaks. And, you know, it just it seems like such a basic thing and it's so silly. But I like to tell that story because... I think it just shows that even though we made this epic mistake um, and very poor planning, we still had a really great time and it was a very memorable trip. It's also great. always satisfying when you're on a trip and you like completely screw things up and then you're like, I figured it out. I fixed it. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. I do want to just add that I will be joining Judy in Japan in what was it 10 days time oh very gosh. very soon <laughs> oh wow have fun yes yeah. i will be an adventure woman i cannot wait <laughs> well thank you guys both uh so much for joining us from uh both very far away from where we are now in new york abigail and judy where can people find you on the internet either social media or websites where can people follow what you guys are doing well, thank you for asking. That's great. We're adventurewomen.com. So that's women, W-O-M-E-N, women.com, adventurewomen.com. We're on Facebook as Adventure Women. We're on Instagram. And find us there. We've just put up our 2019 trips. Uh, we're just finalizing, filling up the rest of our 2018 trips. And 2019, actually, we have already sold out a couple of trips. Um, reminds me of your climbing experience that you were talking about, Abigail. But so anyhow. That is how you can find us, adventurewomen.com. Amazing. And you, Abigail? Um, you can find my personal accounts at Abigail Wise for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. Um, and then everyone should read Outside Online and check out our push to bring women to the front and center of outdoor adventure. Amazing. Well, I can definitely tell you that we are noticing and paying attention because I think it's really amazing uh, the people that you're featuring um, and the stories that we get to we get to read because of what you guys are doing. Where can everyone find you, Lale? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Lale Hannah and on Twitter at Lale Arikoglu. You can figure out how to spell that. <laughs> I'm at Oh Hey There Mare on Instagram and Twitter. You can read Blair Braverman's story on cntraveler.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cntraveler. And we're also on Facebook, Conan S. Traveler. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker and host of The New Yorker Fiction Podcast. On the podcast, I ask a great contemporary writer to select a favorite story from the magazine's almost 100-year archive to read and discuss. Together, we delve into the story, exploring its themes, its style, and what makes fiction work. You can listen to authors like Otessa Moshfeg talk about why we write. Story, or attaching a story or creating a story, is this inclination that we all have to stop spinning. And you can hear writers like George Saunders discuss the nature of storytelling. On the first read, you accept these things as descriptions, and they make you see the scene. But every line is a chance to inflect the reader's mind. 
you'll discover new favorite authors and read old favorites in new ways. Episodes of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast are released on the first of every month. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.